Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Aesthetic MD Insider. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. Aesthetic MD Insider is a 360-degree view at the aesthetic industry. Today, we have a really, really exciting guest joining us, Dr. Joseph Niamtu III from Richmond, Virginia. Dr. Niamtu, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Angela. It's great to be on your show, and I hope you're having a great day in uh, California because it's sunny and warm here in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. It's sunny and warm here in California, too, Um, although I know that's something we're quite fortunate to experience for most of the year. (laughs) Today, you know, I'm I'm so excited to have you on the show because today, you know, we are going to be covering the five myths of cosmetic surgery. And um, I know in your practice and out here in California, you know, we definitely, um, there are maybe more myths, but I think today, you know, we have selected five of the most important ones. Um, oh, the, the that's first, good. Yeah, yeah. And the first myth that I do want to talk to you about, um, Dr. Niamtu, is, you know, there's a lot of facial fillers on the market today. And um, there's lots for people, consumers to choose from. There's also lots for physicians, you know, for them to be using on their patients. And, um, you know, I think now there is confusion just with, you know, which filler is right for me. And um, are all fillers the same? So perhaps that's the first myth that you can debunk for us. uh, I'd be happy to. You know, my friends in Europe have about 150 choices for fillers. And uh, so it's very complex there. It's actually pretty simple here. And, you know, it's kind of funny, Angela, because people that were doing uh, filler injections uh, 20 years ago, we had uh, two choices, Zyplast and Zyderm, which were collagen products. They had to be allergy tested. and They weren't reversible, and they didn't last very long. And in uh, the year uh, 2000 or so, Restylane became the first FDA uh, hyaluronic uh, acid filler that was FDA approved. And... Then, you know, we had uh, um, your Juvederm products. We have Voluma. We have Bellatero. Uh, we have Perlane. We have uh, um, Restylane Silk. So we have all these new fillers. And it's, it's a very exciting time because we can do so much with fillers that uh, before you really didn't have the option. And, you know, nobody ever walked into your office 15 years ago and said, uh, I want my tear troughs filled. So uh, it is a little bit confusing for the consumer because you see all these ads and every filler says they're the best, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's pretty simple. And here's how I like to break it down. First of all, 99% of the fillers I do are hyaluronic acid because they're safe, there's no allergy, and they're reversible. And that is absolutely huge. I don't care. You can be the best injector in the world, but sooner or later, a patient may not, may not like a result or one side may be bigger. And the, and the ability to reverse this overnight with uh, hyaluronidase is very important. So let's kind of just go throughout the face and talk about this. Um, when you do the cheeks, that's a, a very popular area to do right now is cheek filler. And we want the heavy fillers or the thick fillers that are, have the consistency of, of honey, and uh, that's called G-prime. And we want the high G-prime fillers for the cheeks. So that would include uh, Restylane Voluma, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Juvederm Voluma. It would include uh, Perlane, uh, and it would include Radies. Uh And those are bulky fillers that will give you good support. Now, when you get into the nasolabial folds, you can really use just about any filler. But the lips are very specific. 
Uh, in the lips, the, the most popular fillers are your Juvederm products, uh, Ultra, Ultra Plus, your, your Restylane, uh, Bellatero. And the newest filler is Restylane Silk, which is the only FDA-approved filler for fine lines and wrinkles around the mouth. And you know how much women uh, disdain vertical uh, lines or lipstick lines. And, uh, Absolutely. This given us, yeah, and this has given us good options uh, to treat that. So most of, your, most of your docs that do a lot of fillers really are kind of a filler bartender because you have to have all these fillers on hand for, you know, you, it's like a toolkit. You have different, different tools for different applications. And then you have patients that, that want a specific filler. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting. And although it's a, a bit confusing, I think the best thing to do is, is trust your doctor with his or her experience uh, in a given area. Okay, that was a great answer. I mean, so what you're saying is no filler fits all. There are now multiple choices that do just an amazing job in the particular areas of the face that they were designed for. There sure are. And let me add one other thing. There are some permanent fillers uh, such as um, uh, silicone or uh, artifil, and, um, uh, which is now called Bellafil. And uh, patients are very excited and, and want to have permanent fillers. And I would caution people to really uh, make sure if they have permanent fillers, they're using an experienced injector because if you have a complication with a permanent filler, it turns into a permanent complication. So as, as tempting as that sounds, sometimes it's really nice to have a filler that you can make go away or that's going to dissolve over time because uh, it can be a problem. And also what we did mention, uh, fat transfer is also a filler. So some people like to have their own fat. Uh, However, that's a lot more work than simple chair-side uh, injectable fillers. Okay, great, great. Thank you. That was, that was such a great explanation. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit more on uh, myth number two. Less is more. Um, you know, shortcuts in cosmetic facial surgery, you know, if, if a patient says, you know, God, I really don't want to have a major facelift, um, but I can, there's no other choice for me. Um, how would you address that question? Well, this is one of the big tempting things and also a big caveat, Angela, right now in cosmetic surgery. Um, and, you know, personally, I don't think less is usually more. I think less is usually less. And there, with facelifts, for instance, you know, facelifts have been around for a century. And we know that you can do a, a standard comprehensive facelift and you're going to get a natural result that's going to last a, a long time. And it's very tempting for some patients to turn on the TV and hear about some miracle facelift. You can drive to the office, local anesthesia, no bandages, four days of recovery. And I always caution my patients that you get what you pay for, not in money, not in money. You get what you pay for in recovery time. So a facelift that, la that, uh, that takes an hour and, and uh, the rec has a four-day recovery, it's just not going to do that much. That may be great for a patient that's 38, but for your average patient, it's a shortcut, and unfortunately, they're going to uh, have compromises. Uh, and I see a lot of patients that really should have had a bigger facelift, and they have one of these kind of miracle lifts. And, you know, they very frequently they got, they got uh, uh, undertreated and shortchanged. And they're, they're, it's so tempting because they sound so good. Same thing with laser. You know, I can do a, a, a traditional deep CO2 laser, and unfortunately, it has a two-week recovery. And I tell my patients, you know, uh, 
to have a reverse a half century of aging and have a two week recovery is not that bad of a deal. Now there are lasers, fractional lasers that have a, a four day recovery. But again, the result is going to be different. And anytime you shorten your recovery, almost always it's a trade off for uh, short results. Now there are some people that just plain flat out can't take two weeks off for a facelift or two weeks for a laser. And as long as they understand what they're getting, and most importantly, what they're not getting, then a shortcut procedure is okay. I would caution patients, if they're going to have something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So if somebody is going to have a shortcut procedure, ask that surgeon, let me see, let me see 10 patients that you've done, and let me see their before and after pictures a year later. And if somebody can't show you that uh, type of documentation, I would be pretty hesitant about uh, doing that. So less all, isn't always more. Yeah, you know, I'm absolutely with you on that one, you know, um, and and this leads us right into the next myth, which is, you know, you should not have a facelift before the age of 55. Is that true? You know, you can't, there's no generalization, although we're all human beings in the same species, uh, we age quite differently. And, you know, there are things that we control. I mean, obviously, smokers and people that uh, have a lot of sun damage, they're going to have uh, situations that may warrant, uh, you know, earlier intervention. And the biggest thing we can't control is uh, our heredity. So I've seen patients, I've treated patients that were 40 years old and had the aging of a 60-year-old. And uh, those people simply needed a facelift at an earlier age. Uh, by the same token, I've had people that were in their 60s and only needed a very small lift. So I think the situation is this. Uh, one of the problems I see right now, especially with the Internet, is you see a lot of young people that want cosmetic surgery, and they simply don't need it. And a, uh, an experience in a, in a really good cosmetic surgery is going to say no a lot, okay? So when do you need uh, a facelift? Well, you don't need a facelift in, until you need a facelift. And when I, when I say that, you know, there's a point in time when we all look in the mirror, and one day you just start looking like your parents. And... Uh, if you don't want to do surgery if you don't need it. And if you have a face and a checkbook, unfortunately, <laughs> there are people that are going to do surgery. Your, your really respected surgeons are not going to do surgery too early or on somebody that doesn't need it. And I say no a lot. There are so many. I see young people. I see people in their 20s that, that want a facelift. So when do you need a facelift? You need a facelift when you start to get uh, extra jowl and extra neck skin and nothing else will uh, take care of that. For some people, you know, my average age of a facelift in my practice is probably in the 50s. But I've done, like I said, I've done a, a big facelift on somebody that was 39. So there are so many variables, it's hard to answer that question. Just stick with a reputable surgeon, somebody that, that has a good reputation, that can show you many, many before and after pictures, and somebody that's honest about what they do. Do you think it's also important, if possible, to meet with patients who've had the procedure that you are requesting um, just to kind of endorse a little bit more or certify that you are with the right surgeon? There's no doubt about that. Angela, I, th- I, see, I, I think sometimes women spend more time picking out a pair of shoes than they do deciding on a procedure and a surgeon. If somebody – I do 100 facelifts a year, okay? If somebody comes into my office, it's my pleasure to show them – uh, several hundred before and after pictures, and also to be able to have five or six patients that that I'm able to hook them up with that have had similar procedures. And that's certainly not an unreasonable request. 
And, um, you know, I, it used to be more popular to do that, and now there's so much information on web pages, you know, with before and after pictures and videos and testimonies. But I, but I have patients ask, and we hook them up with somebody, and it's usually quite valuable. And, and it's kind of funny because some of these people be, become friends. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there used to be a, a saying in, in if you were going to buy a car, ask the man that owns one, you know, if you wanted to find out about a, a certain car. And uh, so you can garner a lot of information by uh, uh, conversing with a patient that has had cosmetic surgery. You know, and that brings us to our next myth. You know, when you do talk about there's so much information on the Internet and, you know, and the myth of, you know, well, everything that, that you see there is true. How can the patient tell if a new procedure or a new technology is nothing more than a gimmick? You know, patients have to do their homework. And, again, it, just like our moms told us when we were young, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, there there are have been several paradigm shifts in my tenure in cosmetic surgery. And a paradigm shift is a game changer, something that, that is totally different and beneficial and safe than previous options. Some of those have been Botox or, or neurotoxins, uh, liposuction, laser resurfacing, endoscopic surgery. Those, those are paradigm shifts that were game changers. And when they were new, gosh, it was like wildfire, and they caught on, and they were safe, and they were effective. One of the big problems right now, Angela, is that any media outlet, whether it's TV, radio, newspaper, magazines, these people have to have something to report on. And one thing about cosmetic surgery, it's got a tremendously high interest level. Everybody is interested in looking younger. And there is so much information out there. These people have to have something new to talk about every day. And when you watch some of these TV shows, I mean, they have to have, you know, the newest, latest, greatest thing. And we can actually see, I have TVs on, big screens in all of my rooms. So we have TV stations on all, all day. And the TV will be on and, and, you know, somebody will talk about this new peel or new lift. And our phones will actually start ringing. Uh, so you can actually see that happen in, in real time. Um, unfortunately, the vast majority of the things that are talked about uh, – probably don't live up to the hype, and you just want to be careful uh, before you jump. You want to look, you want to research, you want to go online, because there there are some procedures, I won't name them, but you could Google that and find 500, you know, bad reviews and, and unhappy patients. So one thing for the consumer to keep in mind, just because it's new doesn't mean it's better. Okay, that is great. And that leads us into our last myth, which is, you know, there, like you said, there's so much on television and it's making your phones ring. And so it must be doing the same thing for the doctors that are on these TV shows. Now, you know, as a PR specialist, I do work with a lot of shows and I do work with a lot of doctors and can say, you know, my agency kind of prides itself on working with the best in the business, if you will. But, you know, would, what do you think about the popular doctor shows on TV? I mean, do you think that they're unveiling the newest advances? And how about the doctors on the shows? Are they really as good as maybe the public thinks they are? Well, a Angela, you know, for instance, I have followed you and your uh, agency uh, for years, and you're very respected, and you're one of these people that uh, that really doesn't put uh, hype out there. Anytime I see you do something uh or something from your agency, or a representative, or a doctor. You know, I'm 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 proud that it's that it's really uh, kind of state of the art stuff that that is not uh, 
just a fly-by-night thing. I have, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Orden is a friend of mine and a friend of yours, and, and I think these shows are great. And, man, I wish I had that gig, you know. But, again, they have to come up with new things every day. And every single thing can't be the best thing since sliced bread. And, um, you know, we have to remember one thing. This is entertainment, and I think they do a tremendous job at it. Uh, and, it and it's like anything else, you know. It's uh, whatever, this happens to be cosmetic surgery. It, it could be a cooking show and this brand of butter or this cola or whatever. You know, it's going to change your life and it's better than everything else. Um, you just have to do your homework. I, it seems like I keep falling back into that uh, into that slot. And, and that is my big thing to consumers, uh, especially you know, for I, something. I, I used to have a saying, uh, I'll wait one year before you do a procedure that you saw on Oprah. <laughs> you know? That is a great rule of thumb. Wait one year until you see something that's appeared on yeah. Oprah, although Oprah's not on the air anymore, but on exactly. any of the TV shows, I think you can apply that. You know, Dr. Niemtu, I just I, I so respect you and the work that you do and um, much of the things that you do, charitable work and, and just so much. I have loved having you on the show. Um, how can people find you? Well, Angela, you know what? I'm, I'm a lucky guy because my uh, vocation is my advocation. I love going to work, and on Sunday nights, uh, I'm excited about waking up Monday and doing a facelift. So my website is lovethatface.com, and I do a lot of lecturing and a lot of publishing, and I have a big social media presence in YouTube. And uh, it, it's it's my honor to, to be out there and interact with people. And um, so my website is probably the best way, lovethatface.com. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Niam, to um, hope to have you back on the show again sometime in the not-too-distant future, and um, I hope that weather in Virginia stays warm and beautiful for you. Well, you've always been one of my heroes because I think that you are the truth in cosmetic surgery, and it's always a pleasure interacting with someone of your stature. Thank you so much, Angela. Great. Thank you so much for being on Aesthetic MD Insider. Have a great day.